Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO, Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host, and I have such a special show for you today. I've mentioned a number of times on this show as I've been sharing my own story and all the ways in which we can free ourselves from suffering that I had anal cancer. Um, And one of the ways that I knew I had anal cancer was because Farrah Fawcett was public about her anal cancer and her battle with it. And so today we have very special guest, Alana Stewart. Alana is an actress, host, New York Times bestselling author, spokesperson, and president of the Farrah Fawcett Foundation. As an actress, she has appeared in dozens of films and TV shows. She hosted the popular talk show, The George and Alana Show, with ex-husband George Hamilton. Her close friendship with Farrah Fawcett led her to becoming a producer of the critically acclaimed documentary, Farrah's Story, which tells the story of Farrah's courageous battle with cancer. It was later nominated for an Emmy. Alana has been the president of the Farrah Fawcett Foundation since 2009. The Farrah Fawcett Foundation's mission is to fund cutting-edge research for HPV-related cancers, support prevention and awareness, and to help those struggling financially as the result of a diagnosis. Alana, welcome to Freedom for Humans. Thank you, Kirsten. Nice to be here. I really, really appreciate you spending the time um, with us on the show. I know it's probably in very high demand. Well, I'm I'm glad to be here. I I um, read a little bit about your story and I found it fascinating. And um, I would love to hear more about it and then talk about um, my own experience with my friend Farah, who had cancer. Well, I think that sounds I think that sounds like a great plan. Mm-hmm. So, I'll just um, I'll kind of start with this this memory. It's a very clear memory that I have. And I was sitting on my bed in the sun and my little apartment, I had um, kind of changed my life and sold a house and sold everything in it and moved to the city and kind of started this new life. And um, I was uh, in a relationship with somebody I really um, loved and adored and sitting on the bed and reading People magazine. And in the back, there was, you know, the where those little blurbs are, I think it was called passages or something like that in the back. And I saw, it was one sentence, uh, Farrah Fawcett confirms that she is currently either being treated for or fighting anal cancer. And I, I was struck by a couple of things. First, I had a deep affinity for and connection to Farrah, having been born in 1970 and, and sat in front of the TV for uh, Charlie's Angels and then much of um, the work that that followed that. And I just, I just loved her. You know, I just always loved her. And, you know, I would sit on a stool in the kitchen while my mom would put the curling iron in my hair and I would hold it so we could try to get the, you know, the perfect Farrah Fawcett hair. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, speaking to you, this is going to sound funny, but I thought to myself, not my Farrah, which of course, it's really your Farrah. You, you are her best friend. Yes. 
Yes, we were. We were very close. We we were really like sisters. Well, so I thought first, no, not my Farah. And then I thought anal cancer. I didn't even know that was possible. Like of all the cancers that there are and of all the cancers that we hear about, I had never I had never heard of anal cancer. And I thought, oh, well, that is a horrible sounding cancer to have. Well, I can say it certainly is a horrible sounding cancer to have. And until Farah was so open about it, it was a cancer that had a lot of stigma attached to it. Just because the name of what it is, you know, first of all, people who who had anal cancer were embarrassed to talk about it. And um, one of the things that she did, one of the posi- very positive things that she did in her own journey with it, that was to come out very openly about it. And she hadn't intended to. She was trying to keep it all private because she really wanted this battle to to be able to be her personal private one. But she was so public. And of course, it, you know, it, it got out. And then once it did, she she embraced it and talked about it and was very open about it. And I think consequently, that helped so many people change their view about anal cancer because people were a lot of people were ashamed to say they had that particular kind of cancer. Well, you know, similarly, I I did not want to tell anybody. Um, And, uh, you know, in the documentary that you ended up shooting, really, I mean, you ended up being a documentarian. You didn't just produce that documentary. You shot a lot of you filmed it. You were front and center for that entire process. And so um, I just want to mention, just because it's amazing to me, that when the diagnosis was leaked, uh, it was it was from somebody leaking her private medical records uh, to a tabloid, was it not? Well, that was that was all part of it, yes. But I think it was it was out before then that that she had anal cancer, and then all these stories started appearing in the National Enquirer. And it would it would tell they would tell all the details of, mm. of treatment and what was going on. And, you know, something would happen um, her, with her doctors. And practically two days later, it would be in the National Enquirer. And she got so paranoid about it because she couldn't figure out who the who in her circle was talking, you know, because the, there were only a few people that knew, you know, knew all the details. Right. And. I said to her at the time, I said, I bet it's getting out through UCLA because they have a system where any doctor at UCLA can go into the system and they can see a patient's chart. Right. And I said, I bet it's someone who can get access to the UCLA system. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. It was a woman working there in one of the doctor's offices and she was selling the information to the national Enquirer. And if Farah pivoted, so not only was she, you know, a health advocate for herself along with you and, and the people that loved her, but she was, you know, taking it public in order to help other people. And she pivoted 
and helped change some of the laws in California, I think, to better protect patients' medical records. She did. I she was, you know, in part responsible for the for the um the new patient privacy laws that were that were put into um, into works. And because this this it opened up a whole her case opened up a whole, you know, uh, can of worms. I mean, they they found out that so much was going on in this person who was selling this information was selling a lot of other people's information as oh, well. Wow. 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 So, I mean, what a, what a journey and a battle that she was on. I, I also didn't want to tell anyone. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because colon cancer, for instance, there's, it's talked about a lot. It's a much more common type of cancer. It still has to do with, you know, your digestive system and, and eliminating waste from your body. I mean, like these are really important functions of our bodies, but there was something about an anal cancer diagnosis. And when you have cancer, you know, I found that people immediately, the question is, well, what kind do you have? Until I had anal cancer, I did not realize how kind of invasive that question is. Yeah. And as I said, there was some some degree of shame attached to it because, you know, it's not something that we talk about our anuses a lot, you know, exactly. colon, the colon is a much more commonly talked about <laughs> thing. And, exactly. um but what I'm interested in is how did you how did you connect Farah with your particular uh, case of of anal cancer? Well, I was so I was aware that she had it, and so of course I was that was in my brain space. And then in '09, when she passed, um, that was devastating to me, and my butt hurt, <laughs> like I was having pain in my anal area and it was not resolving. And I just, I did a little bit of looking and I, I just knew, I knew it. And I was standing at the edge of my bed and my partner at the time, I must've looked stricken, which is what I felt like inside. I just knew in my soul that that is what was wrong. And that is why it was not resolving. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I, I have anal cancer. And I, and I said, what, what I've heard other people say, which lessens sort of lessens or softens the message. And I said, I have, I have the Farrah Fawcett cancer. I have what Farrah had. It's like, well, what do you mean? And I just said, I just, I have this pain and it's not going away. And I, I just, I just know it. And so I went to several doctors um, and they did not believe me. Uh, they didn't look where I told them to look. I literally said, it's at four o'clock. Like if your anus is a clock, <laughs> if you kind of yeah. are bent over forward and you just think about your anus as a clock, I would say to the doctors, it's at four o'clock. There's something there. I can, well, I can. What kind, I can of, what kind of doctors were they? Gastroenterologists. Um, and they, wow. And they yeah, didn't find it? Nope. They know. Yeah, in fact, well, a great question. They didn't look. So I told them where it was um, and they looked, they were sticking everything up there. They were sticking fingers and scopes. And, but if you have a, what I had, which was a tear, I had a fissure. Mm -hmm. 
that wasn't healing, which was very painful. So there's a ton of nerve endings in the anus. And when there's an injury to it, like a fissure, that like it's a really strong nerve pain and it bleeds. And every time you go to the bathroom, you kind of re-injure it. And so I kept telling them, but they were scoping me and doing colonoscopies because I had, I had Crohn's disease, you know, I had a Crohn's diagnosis and I'd had gallbladder disease before that. So I had some digestive diseases and was pretty comfortable speaking to a gastroenterologist. So the first one didn't believe me. They said, you're too young and you don't have a mass. You're too young and you don't have a mass. Second one didn't believe me. And he literally said to me, he goes, I can see you're not satisfied. I said, you're right. I'm not satisfied. So, well, I could send you to a surgeon. I said, fine, do that. So I said, I went to the surgeon. She did look where I told her to look. She did clearly visualize the fissure. But because fissures are hard to heal because you re-injure them when you go to the bathroom. Right. I've had them actually. Okay. Okay. And they hurt and they're very annoying and, and difficult to manage. And so she sent me home with the nitroglycerin stuff that right. you're, that you're supposed to lay down because it lowers your blood pressure. And she's telling me to take a sits bath, you know, for 20 minutes, three times a day, these strategies that are, are impractical. And also for me, they didn't work because cancer often doesn't heal. Like, you know what I mean? Like when the tissue has cancer, it's, it's not going to heal. So in other words, you really didn't have a lump. You had, no. you had this fissure, but that, yeah, this, that that's, very, that's very unusual. Yeah. Right. And so how, go ahead. So how did they finally mm-hmm. discover? Well, um, about a year or so goes by because um, oh, I'm yeah. sent home with these strategies and I think, mm, okay, all right, well, okay, I guess this is what it is. And I still was not, I was not satisfied because I, you know, I had a gut feeling and I was running on a treadmill. I was trying to get pregnant. I mean, it's a whole thing. I was trying to get pregnant and, you know, I was concerned about having this tear because I'm hearing that people get hemorrhoids when they get pregnant and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I can't like get pregnant and have this, this tear and this bleeding and this pain and I'm running on a treadmill one day and I get this sharp stabbing pain there. And then I feel like a little, the surgeon called it a skin tag. So it wasn't even very big, Um, but there was a little something that protruded where the fissure was that was new. And so I emailed the doctor, explained that she had me come back in. She basically sat me down and said, well, you know, I see it. I, you know, I see, I see what you're feeling and I see it. I generally just leave these alone I don't like to, I can cut it out, but I don't like to because the surgery is very painful. It's very difficult to heal from for the same reason that I've just already talked about. You're just re-injuring it all the time. She said, it brings grown men to their knees and makes them cry. You're not going to be able to work. You won't be able to sit down and you're going to have to be on narcotics for you know a certain period of time. She said, I just generally, I don't recommend it. And so she said, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you here. You can ponder that and I'll, I'll be back in. And I sat there while she, you know, probably went and saw another patient or whatever. And she came back in and I said, I want you to cut this out. I'm like, the, I don't want, I'm, I don't want to live with this. I want you to cut it out. 
So I kind of forced it. I mean, I, I had to force it the whole way and she cut it out. Um, and you know, I'm at home recovering. It was, I think on a Friday, I think that I had the, um, surgery and it was quite painful just as, just as she had talked about. It's like a, it's sort of like a hemorrhoidectomy, except, um, it's a fissure and you can't suture it or anything because that area has to be able to expand and contract and all that. So, um, I got a call the following Monday and I heard her voice on the phone and I thought it was kind of unusual because a nurse had already called to check on me and I was doing okay. And she said, um, I, I have some, you know, some difficult news. Um, I got your results back from pathology and five pathologists looked at it and nobody can believe what they're seeing. You have fully developed invasive cancer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a shocker. Uh, yes and no, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're coming up on a break. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk um, about Farah and her journey and Alana's journey with her and the work of the foundation. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we'll be right back. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. We are talking to Alana Stewart. And before the break, I just um, told my story of getting my anal cancer diagnosed. Um, And... um, Alana and I on our quick break, we're just talking about how often misdiagnosis happens. Um, so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that. And then also your journey with Farah, which is um, the title of your book, um, as well as the amazing and wonderful work um, that the foundation is doing and how you've carried on her legacy in such a special way. Great. So is it um, is it, I, I read, I, I don't know if this is correct because the documentary kind of picks up Farah's journey after she does the initial course of treatment and then very quickly has a recurrence. 
Yes, what um, once it was discovered, and by the way, I I just want to say up front one thing that's so important is for people to have their regular checkups, and and that's you know early detection is really the key, and people so many of these cancers can be cured if they're detected early, and if you notice symptoms, um, please go to your doctor and. You know, and as you did, if you feel that they're not correct, get a second opinion. Um, if Farah had had paid attention to her body, she might be alive today because she was having symptoms and she ignored them because she was in in Texas with her mom and her mom was dying and she was in the hospital with her mom for about two or three months. And she was just you know, ignoring the symptoms she was having by the time she got back to LA. I think it was Ryan that said to her, you know, you really have to go to the doctor and check this out. And by the time she went to the doctor, she had stage four anal cancer. It was as big as a strawberry. Wow. So I, I, I think I read or saw something that she went to the doctor with abdominal pain, but I was wondering if that was not accurate. No, she, she didn't have abdominal pain. And she, she had bleeding. Okay. And, and, but she, I, she didn't pay attention. She thought it was, you know, something else. And, and mm-hmm. she, she didn't pay attention to it. But, but Fair was very much of a, she took care of her parents. She took care of her son. She tended to put other people in front of, of her own welfare. And in this case, by the time she got to the doctors, it was stage four anal cancer. And the other thing that's, that's, interesting about this is that she had had a colonoscopy a year before oh, and and they hadn't found anything. And sometimes in colonoscopies, they can sometimes miss what's in the anus because they, they can kind of scoot up past it, if that makes sense with the equipment and they can kind of miss something that might be right there close to the opening. And exactly. I'm assuming that was what happened to her, either that or it was an extremely fast-growing cancer, because cancer just normally, if you have a colonoscopy and it's clear at her age, you don't normally need one for another five years. Right. Well, and what you just mentioned is really important because that's exactly what happened with me as well. When the second gastroenterologist did the colonoscopy, it it stretched the it stretched the fissure out. Like when you put that scope in there, uh-huh. it stretched it out so there's no way to visualize it. So the right. very thing that I was trying to get them to look at and see at the at the opening, they, they, they zoom it. right. They, yeah, they, they zoom right past it. Well, that that see that can happen. And so anyway, once she was diagnosed, um, this was at UCLA, and they had a standard protocol of treatment that they did. They did six weeks of of chemotherapy and radiation, very intense radiation. I mean, she was having like 25 minutes of radiation toward Mm -hmm. the end. And that's brutal. It's really a lot. No one has any idea. I mean, it burns the area. She was in pain. The chemo was, was, you know, made her very sick, but she went through six months of, I mean, six weeks of this. She was a trooper. She got through it. um, And then she, they declared her uh, mm. cancer-free about uh, a month or two later. And then three months later, 
it had come back. It had not only come back in the original site, but it had metastasized to her liver and she had eight or nine tumors in her liver. Um, so this was in, in those days, practically a death sentence. It was just, you know, a matter of time. And that's when, when I told her about the clinic in Germany and I spoke to the doctor there and I actually happened to be in Germany and she got on the phone with the doctor and the doctor said, yes, I think, you know, I think we can help you here. We have some techniques that we use. And, and, um, and so she said to me, well, what should I do? And I said, you know, I can only tell you what I would do if it was me. I would, I would, I would come here. I would, I would do that. But you have to pray about it, and you have to go inside and make your own decision. Because God forbid, I encourage you to do something that ends up not being positive for you. So she made the decision to come. She and Ryan made the decision, and they were on a plane a couple of days later, and we were in Germany. And the first meeting she had with the doctor there, Dr. Jacob, we would say Jacob, but it's pronounced Jacob, a wonderful woman, wonderful, wonderful doctor. And uh, Farah handed me her little camera and said, will you film this? I want to be able to remember everything. And I looked at it and said, I don't know how to use this thing. And she said, oh, it's really simple. <laughs> and she showed me and I started filming and I filmed the whole thing. And it was really kind of interesting. And then we started filming everything. We were there the first time we were there for about a month and um, there were different procedures and things. And we, and they let us film it all, which was really interesting. You know, they let me come into the, to the operating room and put on a, you know, one of those uh, vests, those radio mm -hmm preventative vest things and and film everything and so we were just filming everything but it was all for her personal use you know she just wanted to to remember everything you know and and um and just be able to document it and which we did and then eventually um people heard that we were doing this people in the business and networks started to approach her and ask about you know taking the footage and turning it into a documentary. And she decided to do it because by that time she, she felt that if she was going to go through this journey of battling cancer, which she was determined to beat, by the way, she wanted to document it and she wanted to share it, you know, because mm -hmm. she felt it could be hopeful to other people who were struggling with the same, you know, the same kind of with any, with cancer, any kind of cancer, because she had such a great attitude about it. She was just determined to beat it. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way, but it ended up being, um, it ended up being, I think, a documentary that did reach a lot of people. It broke, it broke records for NBC, which was the network it was shown on. It was shown before she passed away. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people just, you know, we're very inspired by by her battle. It's it's hard to watch because it's as you know, it's it's very sad and it doesn't have a good ending. And and but she was really brave through the whole thing. And 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 she always had a sense of humor. That's the thing that that is interesting. And I think you see that in the in the documentary. But but I saw it a lot more in 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 just life i mean there were times where we would laugh so hard at, at 
crazy things. I mean, here we were in a foreign country, everybody's speaking another language. It's just the two of us. You know, mm. I've got the, there's no lights, there's no director, there's no engineers. It's just me and her and, and this little camera. And, and we just, we filmed everything. And there were times, I think I have a hundred hours of film oh, and wow. we, I mean, there were times where I would turn the camera off because I would think, no, I don't, this is too invasive when she was really, really sick or throwing up or something. And she'd go, no, no, film it, film it. This is what cancer is. Because that was fair. You know, if she was going to do something that was kind of unusual for someone in her position to do, you know, to bear their soul like that, mm-hmm. she was going to do it all the way. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, it's, it's, it's funny you say that she handed it to you and you said, I don't know how to use this thing because you shot a beautiful documentary. I rewatched it um, and I cried about, oh, maybe 19 times. <laughs> yeah, I, I still cry when I watch it. And and I have to say uh, that I really, I really got into the camera and the angles and, you know, just um, the, the, the creative part of it, it was, it was, it was interesting because I had no idea and never even occurred to me to even think of doing anything like this or that I could do anything like this or that this film was, was anything that anyone would want to see. (laughs) Mm. It's, and it's been so important. It's been so important and impactful. I mean, I truly, I mean, Yes, I advocated for myself and I was dogged in a similar way to Farah. Um, and so, yes, there were a variety of things that saved my life. But had Farah not been public, had you not documented that, I I don't know. I don't know if I would have been as, um, gosh, uh, tenacious as I was but I I just I knew I knew because of her and because of you and so I just want you to know how absolutely life-changing and meaningful you know the work that you did and her legacy and her sharing um that battle was for me well you know what that it's so great to hear that because you know if you save one person's life that's that makes it all worthwhile, I think. And that's how she she felt. You know, she said to her doctor once in Germany, she said, you know, I'm almost glad I got cancer because now I know I can make a difference. And I thought that was just so such a powerful thing, you know, for her to say. And uh, when we were in, in, I was in Dallas recently and I was at a, a club restaurant there and a um, fairly young woman came up to me. I mean, she, I'm, she must have been in her 40s. And she said, you know, um, I just have to tell you that that documentary saved my life. And it was a similar it was a similar story to yours. It's really interesting. Yes. I, yes. I, I don't exactly know how to put it into words, but there is something about Farah and and something about her showing what what she went through and the vulnerability of it and and it being you that was with her it it's so special it's just so special and so 
um, I think really impactful. It, it absolutely helped to save my life. Well, thank God for that. You know, I'm, 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 I'm glad to hear that. And I feel that, that it's probably done that for more than one person. <clears throat> I think for sure. So I don't want to run out of time and, um, miss getting to talk about the wonderful work of the foundation and the partnership with stand up to cancer. And I know that, um, the foundation is, um, you know, kind of expanded its, uh, anal cancer, but it's really all HPV related cancers. Yes. Yes. Well, when we decided to, we were focusing mostly on anal cancer, obviously, because that's Ferris cancer and she wanted to support cutting edge research. And, and she also wanted to, uh, promote prevention and awareness. So people knew to get their, you know, go and get their exams. Um, if you have symptoms, you know, go and get them looked at. And she also wanted to help people who were struggling financially uh, while they were having cancer treatment. So those are all part of our mission at, at the foundation. And in 2013, we partnered with Stand Up to Cancer and we were going to do an anal cancer research team because they didn't have one. And then we decided to do, in thinking about it, because I learned so much about um, cancer during this whole period, that most 95% of all anal cancer, or 90% actually of anal, all anal cancers caused by the HPV, the human papillomavirus, and 95% of cervical cancers caused by HPV, and HPV is actually responsible for 5% of the world's cancers. Which is massive. And it's responsible for a lot of head and neck cancers. So we decided to do a team that was based on, on all HPV-related cancers. And that's been kind of our focus ever since because it's a much wider umbrella. We still do, <coughs> excuse me, we still support research projects for anal cancer specifically, but we do a lot in the, in the HPV cancer related field. So what, um, in our, in our final moments, I'm curious, what do you think, you know, if Farrah was here in her earthly body, um, and could talk to us, what do you think she would say about all this wonderful, uh, work that the foundation has done and this legacy that she, you know, created and that you've carried on? Well, I think she would be, I think she'd be very proud of it, you know, because I feel like we've done some, some things that, that have helped really further cancer research and, and hopefully finding a cure. And I think probably more than I would have ever thought that we were, that we were going to do, you know, when they first asked me to be president of the foundation uh, after Farah passed away, I thought, well, I don't really, you know, this is not my area, you know, running a foundation and, and I'm not sure what I'm doing. And I talked to a friend of mine who actually was one of the founders of Stand Up to Cancer, Sherry Lansing. And she mm -hmm. said, yes, absolutely. You can do this. You, you're smart. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll be able to do this. And I feel like, you know, I have been able to do you it. I sure have. You know, it's turned into a full-time <laughs> job, which I never envisioned. It was not something I envisioned, but I knew that I always wanted to do more in in the world in a way of, of 
giving back or helping others, uh, you know, not just kind of furthering my own career in acting or whatever it, it, it might be. And I had been kind of looking for something to do. And I feel like, well, this is really it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's fascinating. And you learn so much. I just came back from the stand up to cancer uh, summit in San Diego, and they have all of their teams and scientists and doctors from all around the country and around the world. And they all come and they gather together for this summit and they just have one um, conference after another. And you can go into the, and most of them, not all of them are open, but most of them you can go into and you can hear this fascinating research that's going on. And I don't understand a lot of it because it's so scientific that some of it's way above my head, but I understand enough. And right now we have a a research team with, with standup. We've, we've had one in the past. Now we have a new one. It is uh, HPV head and neck cancer. And because HPV related head and neck cancer has suppressed cervical cancer, anal cancer. It's, it's like the number one, HPV related cancer now. Mm. And there up to this point hasn't been that much research on it. So we have a team that's doing what we think is going to be some very groundbreaking research. And all the HPV cancers are kind of interrelated. And I don't know how to how to explain it scientifically, but in layman's terms, like if you found a cure for one HPV cancer, it would it would typically work on other HPV. Oh, I see. Cause they're squat. They tend to be squamous. They're a type of squamous cell uh, carcinoma. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not, so, not exactly the same as what you get on like a skin cancer. They're kind of a hybrid, I think. Yeah. Well, it's, it's they're They're certainly on the rise. That's for sure. And, mm-hmm. and as I said, that the HPV is responsible for five percent of the world's cancers, and and it's preventable. Um, you know, they recommend that children get vaccinated at an early age, and we don't get into. We're not advocates for the vaccine because vaccines are controversial, right? And there's always the pros and cons of them. But what we do advocate is learn the facts. You know parents learn read read up on all of the literature about hpv talk to your doctor about it and make an informed decision that's the important thing you know is get the information and then make an informed decision and if people um so in order to learn more about the farrah fawcett foundation of course you can um find the farrah fawcett foundation online Yes, it's www.thefarrahfawcettfoundation.org. And there's a variety of ways to support the foundation. I noticed that um, there's some, you know, I wore my uh, Farrah in the red swimsuit uh, t-shirt, you know, the one that, that was, that first came out right? um, until it fell, until it fell apart. And I noticed that there's, there's all kinds of um, fun merchandise um fair yes, uh, uh, shop which you can go to separately or you can go to the website and go to it from there but we have great all sorts of great merchandise and our portion 
all goes to cancer research and helping people with cancer. And the other thing I want to say is that that Farah really wanted to start this foundation. She started it soon after she was diagnosed with cancer. And her her intention was to run it herself, you know, and have her friends on the board and involved. And and but that obviously didn't didn't happen. Um but I, I think that I think that the foundation has been able to carry through her her vision for what she for what she wanted to to do with it, you know, and yes. the and she left a good part of her estate to the foundation. So any donations that go to the foundation or anything we make from fundraising when we do our um, our Tex-Mex event, which we're doing another one in Dallas on the 28th of September, we did one in Dallas in October, and when we've done three of them in Los Angeles, all of that money goes to research. It doesn't go to our operating expenses, which a lot of uh, a lot of charities have big operating expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, the money part of the money that if you make a donation, part of that donation always goes to their operating expenses, and that's not the case with us. Which I'm kind of proud of that. Absolutely. Well, Alana, um, our, our time is, our time is up and I know you have a a schedule today. Is there anything else that you want to, um, tell our listeners before we go to break? No, I, I, I think we've probably covered everything, but the, the one thing I want to say about Farah was what was, was really special about her was she was always a groundbreaker, you know, and she was a rebel and, and she was so courageous. And I think this journey through cancer was her shining moment. I mean, all of the things she'd done in her life, and she was such a public figure and probably, you know, at one point, one of the most famous women in the world. But this was really, I think this showed her true metal. This showed her true character and who she really was at her core. And she was so courageous. And during the whole thing, she still cared so much about other people. She was always kind to to people, wherever she was, whatever she was going through. Um, you know, she was just a really, really special human being, and there will never be anybody else like her. Absolutely. It is, a, I mean, a wonderful testament to a fierce, beautiful, unique, iconic woman that I will certainly you know, carry with me until I'm at the end of my days here. And she was smart and funny too. A lot of people Mm -hmm. don't know how smart she was. She was so intelligent. She was in, in business and everything. She was just really bright, you know, really, really smart and, and fun and funny. And a beautiful artist, which you get a quick glimpse of um, in the documentary. Yes. Yes. yes, She, um, she was an amazing artist. That's what she was going to be originally, you know, before she, before Hollywood got her, she was going <laughs> to be an artist and she did beautiful sculptures and she continued that. That was her, her hobby. And that was kind of her main love was art. That Sculpting. Is wonderful. She was, she was very, very talented. Well, this has been um, such a, um, such an honor to have you, Alana. Um, I know that we need to let you go. I want to just tell our listeners that 
Um, we're going to take a quick break. And then in our final few minutes, I am going to provide you with some additional information about screening and diagnosis and how to advocate for yourself and how to talk to your providers um, if you're having uh, symptoms and you're feeling nervous about having to go um, have them taken a look at, like you heard me and Alana talk about in terms of my experience and Farrah's experience. It's super, super important to diagnose early if at all possible. That's that's certainly right. If there's any any message that I would like to leave from this, it's, you know, take care of yourself and have your have your regular exams and you know, don't don't let don't let anything delay you from taking care of yourself. Thank you so much, Alana. Thank you, Kirsten. It's been lovely talking to you. Um, you're listening to Freedom for Humans. And um, after a quick break, we will be right back to finish the show. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten Johansson, your host. What an absolute delight to get to have Alana Stewart on the show. It's it's honestly a dream come true to be able to do anything at all to support other people who have HPV-related cancers, any type of cancer really. Um, but of course, I have the most knowledge about um, HPV-related cancers because that's my experience. And as I'm sure it came through to you all, um, Farah meant, meant and means a lot to me and the work that um, Farah and Alana have done together and that Alana has continued um, to carry on Farah's legacy and help so many people um, who are suffering from an HPV-related cancer is um, inspiring and humbling. And um, I'm just really grateful that I'm grateful that she was able to spend the time and I'm grateful to be here today to be talking to you because I really honestly don't know if I would be um, without Farah and what she did um, for all of us. So um, we spoke a little bit about symptoms and the kind of the anal cancer can be difficult to diagnose because 
it masquerades as other things and it can be kind of elusive. And so, of course, I mentioned the fissure that I had and Alana talked about that Farah had a mass that by the time she went um, into the doctor, it was about the size of a strawberry, which is quite large. Um, if you think about having that in your um, anal or, or rectal area, that's a, that's a pretty large tumor and tumors also um, do tend to bleed. So, um, you know, what we did have in common is that we both were bleeding. I was bleeding from the fissure. She was most likely bleeding from the tumor. Um, now I shared my story a number of years ago with somebody and, um, unbeknownst to me, she had been passing blood for a number of years, I think at that point. And having told her my story for other reasons, and we were talking actually about fertility and babies and things. Um, and because my fertility was gone as a result of the radiation and chemotherapy, um, I was just sort of having a following up conversation with her about that journey. And, um, so anyway, she went to the doctor, so that compelled her to go to the doctor and they caught it. They caught it before it became catastrophic for her. Um, so I think she's still on a pretty tight, um, monitoring protocol because what they found was, was quite serious. Um, but thankfully, um, not, not the kind where I think the doctor said something along the lines of, had you waited any longer, we might be talking about you needing to settle your affairs. So, um, this is where, this is where self-love and compassion for self and self-acceptance really do play a role in our health. Um, if something doesn't feel right in your body or on your body, if there's blood coming from somewhere that blood shouldn't be coming from, it's really, really important to go to the doctor. And it is difficult to go to the doctor when you are having problems with your anus or your rectum. Um, whether you're seeing a gastroenterologist, a colorectal surgeon, or a proctologist, the way that I think about those doctors, and maybe this is just my way of um, sort of uh, stealing myself in a way for those kinds of doctor visits. But when I think about the physicians and healers who have chosen these areas of the body, I do think about some, some compassionate human beings who understand the importance of those areas of our body and how they contribute to our life, either, you know, in a supportive way or sometimes in a way that detracts from our life. So, you know, I do remember that they, they chose that they, they, they've chosen that specialty and that that's what they're there for. So the other thing that I had that I, that, um, I didn't mention when I was chatting with Alana was I had an enlarged lymph node in my, it was an inguinal node, which is in the groin, it's in the kind of the V of your pelvis where your leg bends. And I, I'd felt it for, I'm not sure how long. And, you know, I'm relatively, I have a relatively thin body. And so there's not a lot of uh, flesh there. And I thought, I just thought, oh, you know, I can feel a lymph node. I didn't really think much of it. Now, the first three doctors that I saw, the two gastroenterologists and the surgeon, they did not palpate that. They didn't feel that area even though I said, I believe I have anal cancer and the inguinal nodes are a very common place for anal cancer to travel. They didn't palpate that area of my body. 
And in fact, the first time somebody did feel that area was when I had already gotten the diagnosis from the um, biopsy and it was my radiation oncologist. And he, w- he, he told me what he was doing. He said, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm palpating your inguinal nodes. Cause you know, this type of cancer often will travel there. And so I, I was laying on the table and, you know, I thought, Oh, he's going to feel that sort of marble feeling thing. And then, then we'll, you know, maybe he'll tell me, Oh, that's normal. Or maybe that's something. And he finished and he didn't say anything. And I said, um, did you feel the one that feels like a marble? And he, he, his body slightly stiffened and his tone changed. And he said, where, and I took his hand and I literally put his hand on the lymph node and he, he, I could tell, I mean, I could tell by his, his affect and the affect of the nurse in the room. He's, he just said, well, we're going to need to biopsy that. Um, and that, that was, it had gone, it was malignant. Um, and so, you know, that informed the type of treatment that I needed, which was similar to what Ferris first course of treatment was. I did not have to be on the radiation table for 45 minutes. I was on for about 15 and the burns were, were epic. So I can only imagine, uh, what she went through and what she was feeling like after that first course of treatment. And then of course she has the recurrence. So you know, I had no way of knowing that those two things were connected, but again, if you feel something and you're not sure about it, um, just really have compassion for yourself and care for yourself and try to dispense with any embarrassment, um, that you might have. Um, because when we get into these areas of the body, sometimes we, we feel embarrassed. Um, so a couple of other things that I want to talk about related to HPV related cancers, Um, because we did mention cervical cancer and head and neck cancers. So in terms of cervical cancer, you know, there is preventative screening for that in the form of uh, pap smears with HPV testing. And depending on your age, you may get one every year, or you may get one every three, or you may get one every five medical standards and guidelines have changed around that. So again, if, if it doesn't quite feel right for you, if you have risk factors, that you're concerned about, or you're just concerned. Um, even if your physician says, well, you know, we don't really do a pap until next year or the year following. If you, if your gut is telling you that you, you need one or you want one, have that conversation and, and let them know why, why you're asking for it and why it is important to you. Um, and then, um, in terms of head and neck cancers, I learned something, uh, important. Actually, I had a, a really wonderful dentist. He, he moved on to other work. He does, he does work in other countries, helping people with, um, uh, dental work that, that can't, uh, access and afford it. And I just, yeah, I just, he was a really, uh, Cal class, Cal class in Seattle. Hey Cal. Um, anyway, he would routinely, um, you know, take a piece of gauze and grab my tongue with it and just look underneath and all around my mouth. And I wasn't initially all that sure, um, what he was doing, but I had disclosed my cancer history. And over the course of time, you know, where I would go in and we would chat about this and that I realized that he was, he was doing preventive screening for some forms of head and neck cancer. So he's looking in my mouth and under my tongue and on my gums for any type of lesion or anything like that, that um, should not be there. Um, so that is important. If you're not experiencing that with your dentist, you can ask for that. 
Um, the other thing that has sort of fallen away, um, and granted, none of us were all that stoked about it, but when we used to have a gynecological exam, at least when I was younger, a digital rectal exam, meaning um, when the provider puts their finger inside of your anus and your rectum, and they they kind of go in a sweeping motion, in a round sweeping motion, which again, none of us are really stoked about having that kind of exam, but what they're feeling for is exactly what Alana described that Farah had, which was a tumor in there. And so they're doing that motion to see it. Do I feel anything that doesn't feel like an internal hemorrhoid that feels more like a mass? So if you're not getting that, a digital rectal exam at your, you know, your annual or your, you know, whatever, um, frequency, you're getting your gynecological exams, please do, um, talk with your provider about that and request it, even though you don't want it, please request it because we can catch these. We can catch them in some cases. And as you heard Alana describe, um, catching it early makes a big difference when Farah presents at that, that, um, clinic in Germany, they say it's late. It's late is what they say in terms of her coming to them for that, you know, that, that hail Mary of treatments that she endured to try to save her own life. So that is all we have time for today. Um, thank you so much for listening. I love making this show for you. I hope that you've heard something helpful. And if you um, need to go to the doctor, please go to the doctor and, you know, practice ahead of time talking about your body um, in a way that feels comfortable for you, but that's also informative to your practitioner. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.